Well, friends, we've been uh, looking at a series of messages called Union with Christ, and we are up to the concluding message as we think about Christ in us, Christ in us today. And uh, what you see some scripture passages in your bulletins that um, will be appearing on the screen, actually, and another one, Romans 8 at verse 9 and following and such. But um, we're not going to read anything ahead of time, any of those scripture ahead of time, but um, we're certainly going to think about those verses during the message this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would, through your spirit, that you would work in our hearts and transform us by the truths we hear today from the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our beloved in Christ, Rick Carl of WVTM Channel 13 News of Alabama wrote a story, a piece about the Britt family a while back. He, Wesley Britt, a former pro football player, and his wife, Katie Britt, the newly elected senator of Alabama. But um, this story is about something that happened to them and their family about 12 years ago. And he wrote the story two years ago. So you get the time frame there. 12 years ago it happened, two years ago he wrote this story. So he writes, a decade ago they felt fear. A decade ago they also felt God's grace. Now that a decade has passed, they have decided to speak out and give us a most incredible, spine-tingling, unfathomable story that happened to them. Life was good for Wesley and Katie Britt on April 27, 2011. Wesley, the former Crimson Tide lineman, was back in Tuscaloosa after being released by the New England Patriots. The Cullman native was busy at his alma mater studying for his MBA. Katie Britt, married to Wesley for three years, was in her first semester at the university's School of Law. And the kids, Bennett, their daughter, had turned two nine days earlier. Ridgeway, their son, had turned one 13 days before that. Wesley and Katie watched the TV news and they looked around the house, their home in First Avenue near University Place Elementary did not have a basement. Katie's sisters, Janie and Jackson, were at the house, as well as family friend Rob. Five adults, two very young children who were a bit confused about where to seek shelter. The power went out as the sound of the freight train grew louder. They all gathered in a small area between two closets, Wesley blocked the openings with bureaus and grabbed a large mattress. The six foot eight, 330 pound former lineman curled the mattress and covered everyone as best he could. The sound and the air were unlike anything Wesley and Katie had ever heard, ever felt. It sounded like we were in a washing machine, said Katie. Chug, 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 chug. 
Wesley tells me it was a strange roar and our ears popped. Strangely, our two-year-old and one-year-old did not cry. Instead, we all prayed and sang, Jesus loves me. The tornado hit their house hard. 30 seconds felt like an hour. Wesley was hit in the forehead by something hard. It, he didn't know what it was, but it hurt. It was almost as if something or someone had knocked some sense into him. The monster was having his way as Katie held Ridgeway, Katie's sister Jackson held Bennett, and Katie's other sister Janie she was holding on to brother-in-law Wesley's leg as she saw 330-pound Wesley being lifted off the ground. Yet the children continued not to cry, but rather to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Five adults, two children looked up. The entire second floor of the house had been blown off blown away. Wesley looked down to see what had left the bruise on his forehead. His heart raced as he saw what hit him. It was a Bible, and it did not belong to him or their house, for the Bible tells me so. Wesley looked outside to witness complete destruction. Katie examined the children, not a scratch, not a whimper, it was almost as if they were comforted by something or someone. Little ones to him belong. Time passed. It was two weeks now after that most frightening moment of their lives. Katie was driving as two-year-old Bennett, her daughter, sat in a borrowed car seat. Where did Jesus go? Bennett asked Katie. Well, Jesus is always here with you, responded Katie to her two-year-old daughter. Jesus was here, but Jesus go bye-bye, said Bennett. Katie pulled the car to the side of the road. Are you saying that Jesus was with you? Katie asked her little daughter. Yes, Mama, replied Bennett. When was he with you? asked Katie, said Bennett, in the tornado. Jesus played with me and Ridgeway. A chill went up Katie's spine. It was him who had comforted the children. They are weak, but he is strong. Life is good for the Brits as the family lives in Montgomery now. Wesley works for Alabama Power. Katie is the president of the Business Council of Alabama and now a U.S. senator. Bennett and Ridgway are in the sixth and fifth grade, respectively. Why has it taken so many years for this power couple to speak out? Well, to be honest, Wesley tells me, I often wondered why we were spared while so many others were not. I wanted to make sure that the families who lost loved ones received support. After 10 years of giving thanks, the Brits are happy yet humble. I asked Wesley if he has had time to figure out why his family lived. It's God's grace. He was comforting my children during the tornado. That's why they never cried. 
and that Bible that came from who knows where that bashed him in the forehead, he says, it was God's way of renewing my faith, his way to remind me to follow him. It was a painful way to remind me, but it worked. Ten years later, the Brits have learned to laugh. Yes, Jesus loves me. Ten years later, the Brits have learned to spread the word. Yes, Jesus loves me. Ten years later, the Brits have shared the most incredible, spine-tingling, unfathomable story that you ever heard. Yes, Jesus loves me. Why? The Bible told me so. Well, that new story, beloved, especially that mysterious middle part with the little ones, Jesus was here, Mama, in the tornado. He played with us. That middle part, I hope, gets you thinking about union with Christ, with Jesus, the grand way that the Bible describes our salvation, union with Christ. Today, our final message in the series we're thinking about the third way the Apostle Paul talks about union with Christ, and it's Christ in us. Christ in you, Christ in me, Christ in us. Some of the places Paul uses the phrase are Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 2 Corinthians 13.5, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Colossians 1.27, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ Jesus in you. Romans 8.9 and following, you, however, did, are in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. You're not in the realm of the flesh, you're in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Again and again, Paul uses this in you, in me, in us language. Christ in us. But what does that mean? Maybe Christ in us is like a little piece of divinity, of godness, that is given to us when we believe in Jesus, a tiny piece of Christ Jesus that God graciously shares with us, and it deifies us, it divinizes us, it enables us, in other words, to be drawn up into the divine life so we can live out Christ's virtues, like the, like the superhero movies that are so powerful and popular. We, we get a little piece of the divine life in us, an infinity stone, for example, for those who know about those Marvel Avengers movies, and we become enhanced human beings. Though Through that little piece of divinity given to us, we can now share in the life of God. We're pulled up into the divine life, his divine life. Or maybe Christ in us is really more like Christ being for us, at or on our side. 
as our encourager and inspirer and assurer. And Christ is at our side telling us of his forgiveness and his love and reminding us of the cross and of the resurrection. And as long as we keep responding to him in faith, he is willing to stay at our side and on our side, our partner through life. Is Christ in us like either of those two options? John Kelvin and Lou Smeads, and I have mentioned Lou Smeads a number of times in this series because the, the book that he wrote really looks at this material about union with Christ. John Kelvin and Lou Smeads said neither of those options, neither one. The Apostle Paul says Christ in us, the actual Christ, and just getting a little piece of divinity that pulls us up into the divine life is not the actual Christ in us. And that other one, that Christ is just willing to be on our side so long as we respond to him in faith, that's not Christ in us at all. It's Christ next to us, just coming along for the ride or at our side going for a walk, not in us. Kelvin and Smeeds are both convinced it has to be the actual Christ who is actually in us. But that's a tricky thing. To have that be the case, we have to make sure it doesn't conflict with other things we say are biblically true. There are things we believe to be non-negotiable in our Reformed doctrine, in our theology, some things that we will not give up, cannot give up. Like a person buying a new house, they have to have, have to have, have to have, have to have a bigger kitchen than their current house. Perhaps that's their non-negotiable. The bedrooms can be smaller, the, the living room can be smaller, no big deal. But bigger kitchen, they must have, or they move on to the next um, Zillow listing until they get their non-negotiable bigger kitchen. We say some things are non-negotiable in our Reformed theology, and related to Christ in us, there are a couple of non-negotiables that you must preserve. First of all, Christ is 100% divine and 100% human, two natures united in one person. Jesus, in his humanity, ascended and now resides in a place that we call heaven. In his divinity, he is omniscient. Omnipresent, I should say. Pick the wrong one there. Omnipresent. He is everywhere present. That true paradox is, is a non-negotiable in our theology. Another non-negotiable is this. Human beings are precisely that. We are human, not divine. So God's divinity, his divine nature, does not, cannot blend with our human natures. He is God, we are human beings. He is creator, we are creatures. Nothing changes those distinctions. They are non-negotiable. So with those in mind, related to the actual Christ, actually in us, which is what the Apostle Paul teaches, how can we describe it? What we need, Kelvin insists, is Christ in his humanity. Everything depends on it. 
Look, we confess that humanity sinned, so humanity must pay for sin. That's why Jesus took on human flesh, became fully human and perfect, because humanity had to pay for humanity's sins. Christ did that at the cross. But now for us to get all the benefits of what Jesus did at the cross, that's got to be a way for humanity, for us to get Christ's humanity actually in us. Everything depends on it. We need every quality, every characteristic, every last attribute of Christ in his humanity, his righteousness, his holiness, his wisdom. We need this perfect human being in us. But here's the problem. This Christ in his human nature, in his humanity, is confined to heaven. Jesus ascended, and in his humanity, he's in heaven. That's non-negotiable. So what we need for our salvation, Christ in us, seems impossible for us to get. How are you going to get it? You're going to jump up there and reach and grab it? We can't. So you think, well, wait a minute. If, if his humanity is confined to heaven, what about his divinity? It's everywhere present. Omnipresent. Can't God somehow inject a piece of Christ's humanity into our hearts like a syringe full of adrenaline? No. The non-negotiable there, remember, is that there can't be a blend between creator and created, between God and human. So hopefully you see the difficulty just as Kelvin did when he tried to interpret Paul's actual Christ actually in us while still doing justice to the non-negotiables. Got to have the bigger kitchen. How does Kelvin solve this? And Smeads agrees with the solution. That's the basis of his book. Kelvin looked at all the scripture passages about Christ in us, all of them. There's a ton. And he noticed a pattern that showed up. The pattern is that when Paul talks about Christ in us, he seems to equate it, listen, he seems to equate it with the Spirit being in us sees them almost as interchangeable. The Holy Spirit is the mysterious bond between the Christ who is in his, in his humanity, sits on his throne in heaven, between the Christ and us, his disciples. And when Christ comes into hearts, as he does in the lives of those who live after his death, resurrection, and ascension, that's us, obviously, in the age when the Holy Spirit has been poured out, when Christ comes in this age, it is as... Holy Spirit, and he comes to rule our lives, govern us, rule us, direct us. Kelvin believed Paul was saying that the Spirit does come within us, and the Spirit is, in fact, Christ within us. He brings us Christ to enable us to live the Christ life, to live in a way that is wise and holy and righteous. Christ within us, that is the Holy Spirit within us, brings us back to the image of God, a life of action and obedience to God. Kelvin is saying that in this age, when the Spirit's been poured out, the presence of the Spirit, listen, is the actual presence of Christ. And this way, the non-negotiables stay intact we have Christ actually in us. He is mysteriously communicated to us 
by the Holy Spirit, and yet Christ's humanity still reigns in heaven. And we have the actual Christ, every bit of his humanity inside of us. We have him mysteriously by or through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And yet it is not like a patch of divinity has been sown into our hearts, blending our humanity with that patch of divinity. No, that non-negotiable is preserved too. We have an actual person, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity inside of us who somehow mysteriously is communicated to us as Christ himself, as all of him so that Christ may rule and direct and govern our lives. Incredible, spine-tingling, unfathomable mystery how the Spirit can do this. But he does. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 up there. Paul says, now the Lord, that's Jesus Christ, Jesus, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, Jesus' glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul clearly says there that in the age when the Spirit has been poured out, that we are living in, that the Spirit somehow is the functioning Christ, Christ in us. The Lord is the Spirit. Christ is Lord, remember? He defeated sin at the cross with power. He is crowned victorious. He has powerfully defeated the devil and his angels. He has powerfully brought about a new creation, a new order in which we live, a new order that only the church recognizes where Jesus is Lord, Christ is Lord, with all the power that you can imagine at his disposal. Christ is Lord, and Paul tells us, the Lord is the Spirit. And the Spirit is Christ who lives in us, leading, enlightening, calling, pulling us from within with the intention of shaping our lives to the pattern of this new world order that Christ instituted at the cross. The power of Christ in history now gets worked out as the Spirit works in us and through us. And it's a total mystery how he does this but he actually fills us with the actual Christ in all his perfect humanity. And we know this must be true also because we say that when God looks at us, he doesn't see a sinful human being. He sees his son, Jesus. What an unfathomable mystery. We can't understand how he does it. But he does it. Now, what does this say to us, all this heady theological stuff? Three takeaways. Christ in us says, first of all, that every one of us, everyone who loves Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, has the spirit of Christ living inside of him or her. It's not just for a group of spiritually elite people in the church. It's not a mountain summit that we have to climb and get to. I don't have to reach a certain point in my maturity, in my Christian walk, to have the spirit of Christ in me. He is there from the get-go when he took hold of me. That's number one. Number two, Christ in us 
says to us that though we may be the weakest human beings on the face of the earth, though we may have a terrible time dealing with sin and temptation, we can claim the powerful victory of Christ over sin. We can fight sin claiming Christ's victory over it. We fight sin with the power of the Spirit of Christ in us. And third, Christ in us says to us that there should be times in our lives that we start to see ourselves becoming more Christ-like. Do we see ourselves becoming more righteous, more holy, with a renewed Christ-like way of living? See ourselves seeking God more than we did a few years back? How did big Wesley Britt say it? When the Bible hit him in the head during that tornado, it was like a wake-up call. It was God's way of renewing my faith, his way to remind me to follow him. It was a painful way to remind me, but it worked. Perhaps that was a time in Wesley's life when he saw himself becoming more Christ-like. And when we see it in our own lives, what an encouragement to us to keep on. And when we don't see it, then something's wrong. Somehow, for some reason, we're quenching, offending, ignoring the person within us who is our Lord, and we do it at great cost to ourselves. When Paul says Christ in us, that he is in us, he doesn't mean we lose our identity or our ability to quench the Spirit. He is saying the Spirit is willing to rule us, and we need to exercise our freedom to let him. Christ in us is an incredible miracle, isn't it? That Christ, listen, that Christ would come to live in sinners like us. But then this same Christ died on the cross for us too. And that has made this miracle a reality. Beloved, won't you open yourself up to him, no matter where you are in your Christian walk. Just beginning, he's in you too. Open yourself to him. Let him rule you. Don't ignore him. Pray that he'll dwell in you richly. Pray that you'll let him. Christ in us, what a promise, what a hope for what's to come. What a responsibility, what a reality, what a life. It's yours, Christ, in you. How do we know? The Bible told us so. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful that the actual Christ actually lives in us, that that incredible, spine-tingling, unfathomable mystery is true. And we thank you. Remind us of it daily. How we could ever forget when we stop to think it's beyond us. But we do. So remind us again today that we are yours and that Christ lives in us. In his name we pray, amen.